Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey everybody, I'm Sam Stein. And I'm Jason Shirkus. And Jason, I think you'd agree that 2016 was an election filled with weird and some would say horrifying developments for American democracy. I think the word is sad. A lot of sad developments. Sad with an exclamation point? We can't continue to allow China to rape our country, and that's what they're doing. The wall just got 10 feet higher. It's true. Ready? Are you ready? Get them out of here! Get them out of here! But perhaps none was quite as horrifying as the revelation that the Russian government intervened in the election to help defeat Hillary Clinton. On December 9th, one month after Trump's victory, the CIA announced what pretty much everyone had come to suspect, that Vladimir Putin's Russia had conducted a campaign of hacking and cyber warfare designed to disrupt the U.S. election in favor of Donald Trump. Even the CIA has resolved that this was not just an effort to interfere with our election, but this was an effort to assist Donald Trump in becoming president. Now that last voice belongs to Clinton Campaign's Director of Communications, Jennifer Palmieri. She was on Rachel Maddow's show in December, right after the news of the CIA report came out when everyone was still coming to grips with the fact that foreign intervention might have actually helped tip the election. When that story came out on Friday night, you responded by tweet. You said, quote, soul crushing. <laughs> I don't even remember that. You said, yes, I believe you. Now <laughs> you tweeted I tweeted from remember. the bottom of a glass. <laughs> soul crushing. So what was it actually like to be inside the Clinton campaign while all this was going down, gradually coming to grips with the realization that your boss's presidential bid has been the target of Russian electoral Cyber warfare. I think we kind of have an idea. Dread, anger, and more sadness. And a little bit of booze. Today on the show, Jennifer Palmieri is our guest. Her long career in democratic politics includes jobs in the Obama and Bill Clinton White Houses and as press secretary for the 2004 John Edwards campaign. But today's show, it's all about 2016. With a little more time now between us and the election, we talked with her about what it was like running simultaneously against Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. And why some people blame her for the Iraq war. Seriously. Welcome to Candidate Confessional. So, do I need to say my name and all that? Okay, so I'm Jennifer Palmieri. Okay. I was uh, Hillary Clinton's communications director in the 2016 presidential campaign. Uh, Prior to that, which I think is relevant, I was the communications director for President Obama at the White House. Normally, people like to go in the other direction. <laughs> they join a presidential campaign so they can work at the White House and become the communications director. 
And I went in the other direction because I thought that I knew it was going to be hard to everybody assumed Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president. I thought that it would be harder than it looked um, from a distance to get her over the finish line. Uh, we were electing the first woman president, third term for a Democrat, economy doing better, but not as well as it could be, uh, particularly for a lot of people that you would hope would be voting for Democrats. So for all those reasons, and with the blessing of our former president, Barack Obama, <laughs> You said yes. Okay. So we're going to fast forward like dramatically here. Okay. You've won the primary. <laughs> <laughs> you are now. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, that was. That was easy. Uh, and you are now a candidate uh, in the general election. And not only that, but you've been dealt a wonderful, beautiful hand. <laughs> you're going to run against Donald J. Trump. But Mr. Trump, you're not a nice person. I think I am a nice person. People that know me like me. Does my family like me? I think so, right? Look at my family. Let me actually let me ask you that. Yeah. Because um, no one expected that Trump would be the opposing nominee. So right. when that happened, when it became official, it was clear. In moment, right. How many cartwheels were you doing? So I was anxious about, you know, here's the thing about running as Trump is he was just going to be unconventional. And so at that point, I guess maybe around February, it started to look like it's probably going to be Trump. There was a point, there was a possibility it could be Cruz. And they both had things, you know, that were concerning. You know, Ted Cruz was concerning because he could, um, he's an evangelical. Those people are good voters. He is, he has some charm. I don't, you know, I don't find it. But <laughs> you can see that he's a smart we, guy. Wait, how you much beer have you had? I think we've found the, the one American who finds charm. You know, I mean, and so I, but <laughs> take a sip of said beer. Okay. Um, and Trump, while, you know, that was clear about how you're going to run against him, more offensive, but very unconventional candidate. And our candidate is a, you know, Hillary Clinton is a conventional candidate. So I was concerned about how that plays out. I mean, I had my most sleepless nights, my most anxiety-ridden times was February, March, April, and trying to like wrap your head around how you're going to run out against Donald Trump. So it seemed like there was could be a big payoff, but I would prefer something a little more conventional. What was the thing that kept you up at night the most about him? I was concerned that he was going to morph into somebody else. And who would that be? Like a conventional candidate? Like or? a somebody that was more middle of the road. Somebody I was concerned that people seemed very open to the idea that he said all this crazy stuff in the in the primary to get the nomination, and then he was going to he was going to uh, be more traditional candidate. He was going to walk back the wall. He was going to walk back the Muslim ban. A lot of people were willing to accept he said things for political reasons, and that's you know, hey, that's just playing the game. That's smart of him. That shows that he knows how to play the game, and you know, he can beat them at it. So that's what I was concerned about. How are you going to, and how, like, how are you going to go after this guy? How are you going to make something stick? How are you going to convince the press to take it seriously? <laughs> was that a serious Which they did not do until too late. Were you concerned it was too that, late. like, that nothing seemed to have stuck in the primary? That, like, you know, there was, yeah, he was Teflon. He, because he lives by his own set of rules. So gravity doesn't apply to him. Um, and how were you going to everybody, you know, we watched what all the other Republicans did and they would, they would try to ignore him and then they would come after him by insult, you know, playing his own game. And that, I knew that wouldn't work. 
we did know that Republicans couldn't go after him on policy because they largely agreed with him. So you couldn't, you know, you couldn't, that was bad ground for them. Um, but we did know that you couldn't let, you could not let people get bought into him because once they are bought into him, there was nothing you could say to win them back. And that was what we really, I really worried a lot about how, if he was going to be able to, um, move to the center and do so with the press just thinking that that was really clever and not troubling. Was there lessons you learned just from Jeb's experience? Because he seemed to be establishment candidate and. Yeah. I mean, I was, yeah, it was really scary watching what happened to Jeb because she, I thought that's, you know, that's us. That's the democratic, that's the mirror image, um, of, uh, of our campaign. And I, I do think that the problem, ultimately what I thought was a problem on the Republican side is nobody was willing to commit a murder suicide. No one was willing to be the person that was going to take Donald Trump out. They all thought they'd be the last man standing. Right. And they, and, uh, I think that if you're really going to take that guy out, you had to be willing to kill yourself too. In the end, not literally, not just for the listeners. I just, I mean, I think sure. Christie would have been the best bet because he had no chance and he was a big guy. So he could really take him out. You know? <laughs> yes. That, that <laughs> might be He does. He, yeah. <laughs> he actually, so it was, I, and then, but then I also thought, you know, Maybe he was just, it was just meant to be. I mean, he, I think that the Republican Party was there for the taking. It was a party that was ready to be hijacked by somebody like Trump. And I blame the Republicans for that. Um, and, you know, I, I, every day of the entire 18 months of that campaign, I saw something that told me it was possible that somebody like Donald Trump could get elected president. Like, I, like you Give saw. Give us an example. You saw Black Lives Matter. Like that. Um, white, young white protesters showing up in South Carolina at a like fully African American rally of Hillary Clinton supporters to protest. Like it just showed you there is, it, what it felt to me is that there had been tensions that were underneath the, sur- the surface for a very long time and it all came to the surface in 2016. Now, as someone who worked for Obama, I think you're sort of uniquely uh, equipped to answer this question, which is, would there be a Trump without an Obama? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, or would there be, or did, did, I think that's a, I think that's a real, I think that's a real question. I mean, we have to understand that at some level, America replaced Barack Obama with Donald Trump. They were a mirror image. Donald Trump's also a mirror image of Hillary Clinton. You know, it, would Donald Trump have been the nominee if Hillary Clinton wasn't the nominee? Was the first black president followed by the first woman president too much? Like, yeah. I think that that's, um, you know, I think those are legitimate questions. So into this, Sort of bizarre soup of a campaign. Jesus. Let's add yeah. in uh, Vladimir Putin. Let's add in our one of the focuses of this podcast, which is Russia. So June fourteenth, I think, is what we've pinpointed as the first indication that Russia has done some meddling here. It's a Washington Post report that says the Russian government hackers had penetrated the DNC's computer network. Prior to that point, did you know that Russia had been meddling about? No, but we suspected it because remember, I came from the White House where mm-hmm. the Russians had hacked the President of the United States Blackberry, right? So I came from an environment where we were told, assume every conversation you were having on your Blackberries, on your government issue encrypted Blackberries is being listened to by either the Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, who by the way are also very good at this, um, or all three, um, or one posing as the other. So, uh, ironically, the State Department had to shut down their website because it had been hacked by the Russians yeah. um, during early on in the spring of 2015. So 
we, at that point, the DCCC had already been hacked. Is that right? Did we not do good research? The D, um, no, but, but what was, what's significant <laughs> Sam, about, I told you to. what's significant <laughs> about June, what, what's significant about the date that you did, it was, sure. it was the first time that it was reported that it was indeed the Russians. Russians yeah. So, but we had had a, we'd certainly had fishing expeditions, right? Um, spearfishing. We had had, uh, the FBI came to our office, um, I believe it was in February and said, we think that uh, you guys are being targeted, you and other campaigns are being targeted by foreign entities. We're like, thanks. <laughs> we got that. You know, we figured that that was happening. We had spear phishing. They wouldn't, they didn't have any more information than that. But that was the first day that we were like, it is actually the Russians. So that actually raises the question, which is, at the start of the campaign, I mean, you have this backdrop of everything that you've done in the West, but at the start of the campaign, how big a deal was cybersecurity in this type of threat? Were you, did you have like IT guys coming to you all and saying, Hey, watch out for this stuff? Was or- it- was it part of your orientation video when you joined the no, campaign? No, no, it wasn't. It was, but it was very much on my mind, having come from yeah. – and, and Hillary Clinton obviously was the Secretary of State. So sure, but it wasn't inst- an institutional It wasn't thing. institutional, but you know one thing I would note? You know, what, you know what entity was never hacked? The Clinton campaign. Yeah. The Clinton campaign was never hacked. So we did actually have – uh, Podesta's Gmail account was hacked and the DNC and they tried and they never succeeded. So I do feel bad for our IT guys at the Clinton campaign. Cause they get a bad rap. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm serious. Like yeah. it's really bad. Like they actually kept out the Russians. So. Right. so the story comes out. Um, what's the immediate reaction in the campaign? I thought, well, uh, this is crazy, but except, of course, the Russians do this. The Russians probably always do this. And they probably do the DNC and they probably do the RNC. Um, interesting to me that they focus on the DNC as opposed to the campaign. But that's very Russia, right? Mm-hmm. Very Russian. You think that the parties matter more than the actual campaign. Good point. Um, and but it's, it's still assuming at that point – this is just what the Russians do because they like to know as much as they can about both candidates and, do, and so not thinking, not, you know, is this directed at us? Because did, that is extraordinary, right? Okay. Oh, wait. That's so, but that, in, so did you not think that they would publish this stuff? Yeah. Right. You didn't. You thought they were just looking, trying to get information, but would never put it online. Would, you know, use it in some other way. Maybe they would try to, if it's like, uh, uh, they want to know this stuff. They always want to. They probably always do this, but somehow it was public because now it's easier to detect, or now it's you know just everything is more open. Sure. Was there discussions with the DNC after that news broke about it? You know, just like, hey, what could be on these emails or any of that kind of thing? Um, as well, we hired at some point. We think they had hired CrowdStrike, so cybersecurity firm to. We'll get into this for them. And I think they're the ones that outed it, right? As I recall. Yeah. And then, so we hired, uh, we hired a firm too. Um, and started, I don't think we thought it was hard. Some, some things you can recreate, right? But this was going to be a hard situation. We didn't think we could recreate everything that had been sent to the DNC. But stuff started leaking then, right? Through Guccifer and DC leaks. So what's the panic level then as this start, if this stuff starts to get put so, out in public, you can't really get a total grasp on the extent of what they have. There must have been a bit of anxiety. 
I I didn't have a lot of capacity for more anxiety at that point. <laughs> you just don't. I mean, you're just you're. I didn't worry about what was in these emails because I knew, having been on the campaign and just around a lot, like it's there'll be stuff that's stupid. There won't be stuff that's yeah. But the gammy. stuff the stuff that came out right before the convention, right? That's the DNC stuff. Now we're talking yeah. about and. It was obviously designed to stir the pot and get Bernie people pissed. Right. So you have like literally the first night of the convention, suddenly everyone's looking at these emails and you have protests the next morning at all these various functions. Thousands of protesters converged outside the DNC today. Many of them Bernie Sanders supporters. Yeah, this first couple of days of the camp of the convention were rollicking and scary. Scary. Yeah. And what, how are they scary? It could be, are we, is this going to dominate the convention? Is this going to ruin the convention? Are we going to actually have a bad convention because of this? Our campaign had been through so much at that point, including an FBI investigation. And then it comes in that Vladimir Putin is hacking the dem- Democratic operation for the purposes of helping Donald Trump. And you're just like, sorry, can't. Throw another one on mm. there. I felt it was so surreal. I felt as if I had been um, catapulted into another dimension where we would have these surreal conversations about the Russians and Trump and Mike Flynn and Carter <laughs> Page and – um, Donald Trump Jr. saying we're really invested in Russia and having people who were looking to find all of the ways, the different ways that the Russians invested in Trump after he went bankrupt. Um, and no one in the press really cared. And it was very hard to get other than these intel reporters who are very, uh, you know, who have been doing this for decades, are very professional and very diligently doing their work. But um, I want to get to that because that did – the intrigue did pick up late in the campaign. Too late. When? Well, we'll get to that. Uh, sticking with the convention. With the convention. The convention. Yeah. Because as you rightfully note, um, it did get scary, not just in the sense of would the convention get ruined, but, you know, like Debbie Wasserman Schultz, for instance, had to mm-hmm. literally be protected as she was escorted off a of stage. And were you guys – did you try to back channel it all to Sanders people? Sanders, yes, and they were extraordinarily helpful. Was there talks of just how to reach out to those supporters to yep. calm them down or to – Yeah, California delegation in particular was a big problem. Yeah. Uh, the nurses, California nurses, uh, very – that was like one spot of the – I'm sure and any 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 television producer cable television producer can still remember where the California delegation yeah, exactly. was cuz yeah. we saw them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but were you but the convention ended up looking great. I mean the convention you, ended up being the yeah. greatest convention I've ever been to. Yeah, it yeah. did. But those first the first and that and so it made me feel coming out of the convention I felt a lot better because we confronted the you know like we had there was true organic Anger that was revealed on that floor and I felt that they, you know, that the party decided we're coming together and we had a great. Did, did you think that, the, did you think in the moment that you had survived the Russian hack? Like that was it. We made it through. No, no. Oh, I thought on. that there's more. You thought there's more? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cause that's, cause that was. That was kitty stuff. After the break. Jennifer finds out just how right that intuition was. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So the day or two after um, the convention, I think the day after the convention, Trump has a press conference. It would be, I believe, his last press no, conference. No, that was during our camp. That was during our convention. That's during where he said that about the emails. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press. Basically, in that moment, he encourages Russia to hack the 33,000 emails. I remember that- it was during our convention because Jake Sullivan, who was Hillary's foreign policy advisor, and I went around to all of the networks during the campaign, during the convention to do a briefing for them on Russia about why they need to take this more seriously. And that was like a jumping off point for us. And what did the, what was the network's response? The network's response, because these are all off the record meetings. Um, everybody took it seriously. Everyone said to me, you know, even people at Fox, you know, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, and, and, and Jake and I both, Jake has more, way more credibility than I do on foreign policy matters, but we both worked in White Houses and saying, you know, you guys know us, you know, we're not crazy. Like, we are really concerned about this. We think that Russia is not just doing these hacks. They are trying to help Donald Trump. And, uh, and that they were all, and at that point he had taken, they had changed the Republican platform so sure. that no longer expressing concern about Crimea and, uh, that there was just, you know, Paul Manafort, all of these connections. Well, that, that gets the, to my question, which is, world had with them. There, it's one thing to, Russia. it's one thing to feel strongly that Russia is trying to help Donald Trump. It's another thing to think that Donald Trump is in collusion with them. Yes. So what was the first point where a light bulb might have got off in your head that you said, wait a second, perhaps it's a symbiotic relationship? Early on, because you knew, because he said he said he, he was saying good things about Putin in the primary. Sure, that was that was early on. I think early on when he was saying good things about Putin, we uh, subscribed subscribed that uh, subscribed that to a version to his sort of narcissism, love of strong men. Yeah, that's like a type, right? And when he says he wants Russia to hack the remaining emails. What it tells it's a tell to me because people repeat themselves, right? So people, candidates, presidents will say in front of the camera when they say things offhand in front of the camera, it's probably something that they said in prep. Yeah, yeah, but that seemed like you didn't build that. Like with Trump, it's different. (laughs) True. All right, so we go through. God, it's reliving this. I don't know. Are you yeah, all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Good. I'm good. So we go through <laughs> August. Uh, you know, um, 
Mike, can I ask you about the incident, uh, the health scare incident? New questions about Hillary Clinton's health after she almost collapses, leaving a 9-11 ceremony. Pneumonia gate? Pneumonia gate. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was a weird day. New video showing her wobbling, then appearing to fall. The campaign saying she was overcome by the heat, but now word she's also battling pneumonia. I mean, it was a which scary which, day. I yeah. wonder how scary it was for you because you've been around Hillary. You've been working on her behalf. You must have seen her get exhausted. And then to see right. this happen from a from not just a staffer's perspective, but you, you're tight with her. Like. Yeah. So I – let's see. Um, we'd had debate to prep on Saturday. Um, you know, she'd had this terrible cough. She was clearly not, like, feeling amazing. I spoke with her relatively soon, and so I knew that she was – Indeed, fine. But even with, even when you're Hillary Clinton, you still think it's not that big of a deal. If you're, if you, I mean, like, I'm speaking from her perspective, literally her. Um, and she had bad allergies that turned into like a cough that turned into pneumonia. And the, you know, doctor's like, if you weren't Hillary Clinton, you should take a few days off. But, you know, she's just thinking it's like something else I'm going to like. Power through, right. But did you think it was more than that just because it would fuel those conspiracy theories since there was already talk on, online? Yeah, it's just always something. You know, yeah, yeah, you're like, like oh, what are great. They gonna, yeah. Great, great. So now she actually has pneumonia. Great, you know, so now they're going to. And no one will believe it and all that stuff. Yeah, and she, um, and, you know, I knew that they understood her stamina was a strength of hers. And so to go after it. Um, it's a, you know, that's a, that's one of their tactics, sort of Russian that way, actually. And that they would do that. And, uh, it's a drag because she actually now needed to take time off. And my view was that, all right, so now this is where we are and she, she should take off how many days, whatever days she really needs to take off to feel better. I myself had found myself in an ambulance about two weeks prior to that. So what, I what understood. Happened? I just had the flu and I just felt like I was trying to walk to, there was a doctor's office, like an emergency care place in our building on a, and it was a Saturday. And so I was like, I'm going to walk to work to go to the emergency care and see if I should get, uh, if I have bronchitis or something. And I didn't make it all the way there. Like I couldn't, I couldn't walk. I've never felt this way before. And I finally did. So I had to like stop rest a few times and I finally got into the doctor's office and I collapsed in the doctor's office. So I know. So then they called an ambulance, took me to the NYU hospital. And it's very sobering thing to be in an ambulance. And also, I swear to God, you guys, the doctor was Russian. (laughs) I'm not making it up. And a Trump supporter. No. Wow. Yes. How did you know he was a Trump supporter? Because he told me okay. after oh I came to, he was just trying to talk to me. And did he, you? they all knew us because we it was the Clinton campaign was in this building and there was this medical clinic there. So they all knew, like, if you if you were coming on a Saturday afternoon, you probably worked for Hillary Clinton. And he told me, basically, he Did he ask to see your BlackBerry? Or, no, no, but yeah. he uh, – and he did a terrible job putting an <laughs> IV in. When I got to NYU, the nurses – were appalled. They said that didn't. We didn't do that, right? It's like no, you guys didn't. No, it's a Russian wow. doctor who's you, a Trump supporter. You got you got hacked literally. I got hacked room. literally. And I do remember a moment in that ambulance where I thought, why did I think 
I was going to be able to hold this all together because I was like, we're, we have all lost our minds because we we're just going through this campaign. Like, sure, fine, electing Hillary Clinton. Like, no problem, no problem. All the absurd amount of coverage and picking a part of her and, um, and all of its sexist beginnings that we don't have time to get into now. Uh, sure, you're running against Donald Trump <laughs> and, oh, and by the way, Vladimir Putin is also out to get you. And I was, and you're just like trying to keep it all straight in your head and get through your day and thinking about, and I was always thinking, we were always thinking, and Glenn Kaplan, who's a communication person on our team working on Russia, was really great, was always thinking like, how can we make the press pay more attention to this, take this more seriously? That was a constant sub-conversation between Glenn, Brian Fallon, press secretary, myself, John Podesta, Jake Sullivan. Um, what were the ways and, you- and then I was like, sentence Amos thinking, why did I think that this was all fine and we could hold it all together? <laughs> It's well, not. Did you? And then Hillary got pneumonia. Yeah. And you're, you realize, you know, we're not, we are human. And you just, it was, it was scary. I mean, it gets worse, right? Like it doesn't just yeah, end there because we lose. No, 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 no. <laughs> not even, that's the, that's the coup de grace. But this gets worse before then, which is John's emails then yeah. suddenly get. Un- so we had so this a, is John Podesta, chairman of the campaign. We had an inkling that there was that the John Podesta hack could be coming because in some of the emails that showed up earlier, DNC in what we thought was as the DNC hack, D triple C hack, mm-hmm. there were Capricia Marshall emails, things that had been sent to Capricia's Gmail. Who, explain who that is. Capricia Marshall is a close friend of Hillary's. Had been social secretary for her at the White House and had been the head of protocol. Um, at state and uh, helped us with fundraising, helped us with surrogates. And so some, when you look for the origins of how could this possibly have happened, it was sometimes Capricia's, you know, there were emails that Capricia was on her Gmail account and there were emails that John Podesta's Gmail account was on. So we had an inkling, like maybe there, there may be more. And then, and then our friend Roger Stone says in August, it will soon be Podesta's time in the barrel. Did you, at that point when you had an inkling, Maybe go start having somebody go through the emails just to see what was on them, or or search search. No, because um, there was such a needle in the haystack quality of that um, kind of enterprise. It didn't seem, and also, you know what? You're like, you know what, Jason? You're like, they got John's emails. They got John's emails. You know, what we're gonna do get through the day. I mean, but you didn't we, ride blind into this, did you? I mean, we did. We did when we, it was clear that he had been hacked. We set up a little operation um, to go through all of them, do keyword searches. You did do that, yeah. Well, we did go through them all um, and considered them? and considered <laughs> and, and considered. Should we just dump all of John's emails out? Right? You, we could have done that because well, you're always you're always searching for some measure of control. Why right? not How do that? Could, because. That because then we are because part of what we were arguing to the press was these are stolen and we still we actually questioned, well, maybe the press won't report on them because they're stolen. And that used to be (laughs) that used to be the standard. And we were very what we were really concerned, which didn't ultimately happen in a serious way. I was very concerned that the Russians would do what they often do, which is they put emails out cold. They don't change them. Then they start making slight, seemingly innocuous edits, taking people out of the CC line, just making cosmetic changes to them. So they're a little bit different. And eventually they morph. They just start fabricating them all together. And we were concerned that that's what they were going to do. That's a case for putting all the emails out then. Yeah. 
Um, I don't think that that's what would happen, though. I think what would happen would then they would say, well, see, now now you are validating that this is all true. And this is like basically we're just giving you guys, uh, you know, John Podesta's inner life for the last 10 sure. years to pour over. But you would have had it in with, one day versus no, every day for no, 30 no, days. No, that's that is. Right. Can we swear on this thing? That yes. is bullshit. You can swear. Because you guys would. They it, it was it was that was then there'd be endless stuff that they would pour was, over. And as it turns out, a lot of things that were more sensitive than others in terms of, you know, like it didn't everybody make it out. So yeah. I don't know that they, you know, like they, um, so anyway, we decided that that was not a great idea. Was there ever a thought of just owning it? I mean, I could. No, because we thought the most important, the best hope that we had, the most important thing was at least this is a way to tell the story about Russia. And that, um, and we also knew in the meantime, we also knew that there was a lot of reporters that were working on the Intel side. But to Jason's point, like owning it and by owning it, I mean, what do you mean? Like making it, there's some some good things. No, no, no. no, There were some like things in there that you could legitimately say, uh, show, like shine uh, shine a good spotlight on Hillary Clinton. Samantha B, her program, I don't know if you saw it, where, um, Sarah Paulson, she did a dramatic reading of Hillary's email. Did you see this? Did you see it? Yes. Can you give me times for two TV shows, (laughs) Parks and Recreation and The Good Wife? Please print. Please print in bigger print. And so, like, there was something so that this was sort is of funny. So, what I have learned in my time please is print. <laughs> please print. Yeah, that's cute. Uh, is <laughs> if we, the Clinton campaign, tried to say, hey, look at this. This is funny. This shows that Hillary's human. People would just destroy us. But if it happened organically, then it's going to happen organically and people are going to pick it up and if and, and use it that way and that but that is not something we could force is it part of it is, that was not something we could manufacture is it part of it like her you do hear me yeah. yeah because you can't like tell you can't be like look how authentic we are because that is inherently <laughs> it's inauthentic it's ridiculous but if yeah, you do if you do happen to come across an email where she like has trouble using a fax machine you're like oh I get it. That's but we, we did. I mean, I would see some of these, and I think, and I would have, I would think, okay, some of these. Here's what. Here's what's going to happen. People are going to freak out about some uh, television. Predict in in particular is going to have to uh, is going to you know make a big deal about some of these on like the morning shows, and but some of the stuff is actually human and funny, and that will show through too. But I mean, on a human level, like, did you feel? sort of violated by this i feel like i've had an enormous privilege in working for two president united states okay, and hillary that's no, a I, no, i'm not answer. no i'm serious no i'm not i'm like i'm totally serious like i was like well okay my time in the barrel i mean given like what most people have been through i've been pretty lucky and what i did now other people in the campaign are not as battle tested as me and they had a much harder time with it i did not read any email i did no word search for myself I only read emails that were brought to my attention by the press that saying like, like and why just because because I didn't want to know because I knew I knew I would get whipped up about it and upset about it and I knew I would fret and I didn't have the capacity to fret I had to be focused on whatever I was doing and I didn't um, and I knew that if somebody came to me and is like as they did for, for example Capricia Marshall's emails were all leaked prior to John's and Capricia was pretty upset about it and. You know, so I had to coach her to say, like, 
there was nothing in here that's any interest. It's all going to blow over. It's going to be gone in less than a week. You're going to be fine. And she's just devastated because you feel, you feel as the person, it's not just everything has been exposed, but then you feel guilty for everyone else who's been exposed. Because I mean, John had to make endless apology calls, you know, to like all sorts of famous people. Sorry, I've changed your email address. Sorry, I've changed your email address. And I just decided to take my own advice, which was, it's going to blow over. It's not about you. You've like been through a lot of stuff and you've gotten through with your reputation intact. And like, you knew that this was going to come with some risk. So, but it is, but it was really devastating to a lot of, um, a lot of people were really upset about it. And what about John? I mean, he had John was pretty upset about it. John was pretty upset about it. He, um, you know, he's like, I think he said to me, he's like, how would you feel if like 10 years of your whole life was just like dumped out? I mean, if it were my, if it was actually, if I were John, yeah, it's like pretty, it's pretty devastating. But I, I like, you know, I knew what I signed up for. So I knew I signed up for some crazy Yeah, but you know, it's, it does say something about, well, I guess maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But if you are someone who's interested in entering politics, what you're saying essentially is you have to have an incredible amount of scar tissue. Uh, that you're going to be sort of dehumanized in a way. Is that fair? <sighs> yeah, or you just have to just that everything is out in the open now. But I mean, this is a different kind of scandal in a way. It's like more of, it's not a, it's not um, like Gary Hart or, you know, some other kind of scandal, you know, a financial scandal or the 47% video. This was every day, a new round of private emails being made public. And I'm wondering like, how do you, You've been through so, a number of these these things. How do you the, cope with that? The big problem w- with it was it was blocking out the sun. So yeah, that was that is what I worried about. It's not as if any one email was necessarily going to have a shelf life or was so damaging that it was going to convince somebody that wasn't already there um, to be for her to not be for her. Um, but it was blocking out the sun. And then on October seventh, they put out that statement. Yeah. So that was the director of national intelligence and the director of homeland security, the secretary of homeland security put out a statement saying the hack was the Russians and what was really important to us and kind of mind blowing to us that the administration would be this direct is that the DC, DC leaks, WikiLeaks and Guccifer was also the Russians. That's, I mean, I know, you know, a little bit about Intel. That's to definitively say that as a fact is, you know, that was really going out there on a limb. And then, you know, what else happened that day? What else happened that day? The Access Hollywood videotape came out. Oh. There are people day. who think that, that that the Russians did that. I don't think that. That the Russians did that to distract from the other news about. Uh, That's dumb. That was not a good way to distract from the other news. Well, you could make an argument if you're like the Trump campaign or them that anybody who's going to be offended by that tape is already not voting for us. No way. His numbers tanked after that tape. Like I said, I don't believe it. But the other thing that happened that day. <laughs> what a day. Oh, I do remember this day. This was a crazy day. Yeah. That was the first day Thank that you, the WikiLeaks. Thank you, Sam. It was a crazy day. So Access Hollywood, WikiLeaks. No, first it was the DNI statement. Statement yes. saying it's Russia. Then it was the Access Hollywood tape. Then it was John's emails. The I had to, <laughs> We were at debate prep at the fabulous Doral Arrowwood, and I was just – when John's, cause like I'm in the center, like trying to figure out how we were handling each of these things. <laughs> and then when John's, when the WikiLeaks came out, I was just like, you guys, I guess like I gotta just, I just gotta walk out here. And I walked around the, listen to <laughs> Springsteen, take it as it comes, take it as it comes. <laughs> just 
listen to that a couple times. What's cult? What is the culture like on the campaign? Are you guys heavily drinking or moderately drinking at this point? Moderately drinking because you just you don't have time to drink, and you yeah. can't be. I can't risk a hangover. Sure. So. But is there like I a fatalism really about it all? Like, holy shit, this is just crazy and fatal. There out of is. Hand. I mean, I my view of myself before I came to this campaign was I'm a good person to have this job because I can kind of see where the press is going on a story and I understand Hillary and I can kind of like drive a narrative in a particular direction. Also, and you then, have the scar tissue. I think we need to go through your background. Right? I have a lot of scar tissue. So you've among the scandals that you've helped manage or tried to uh, circumvent. Edwards? Someone say start. Edward. Edwards. What do we got? We got the John Edwards. You're you forgetting. Edwards. You're forgetting one. Bill Clinton. But do you, you Monica was your intern, correct? Yes. Okay. So you hired Monica. Yeah. Which basically caused all this. Some people blame me for the Iraq War. Like that has happened in my life. Yeah. Because Monica. Because Monica meant that Gore didn't win, and Gore wouldn't have gone into Iraq. Um, so you, but that. Although you are cursed, you do happen to have an expertise, which is that you I do, know, I do, and I know, and I know, stuff. and so what I figured out was that I actually have zero control in terms of driving a storyline or a narrative in this presidential <laughs> campaign, but I can handle whatever it is that does get thrown at us. So there was a big value in just not freaking, I never freaked out. Like there was never a moment where I was panicked, didn't know what to do. And let me tell you, the, you know, Paula Jones press conference, the second debate, Definitely challenge the Palmieri. What are we going to do? <laughs> All right. Before last night's debate, Donald Trump did a press conference with three of Bill Clinton's accusers: Paula Jones, Kathleen Willey, and Juanita Broderick. That's that like was, wasn't even on our radar. That wasn't even on your list. But that it's not even on your just list. shows how crazy this whole election was. We're going to start with Paula. Well, I'm here to support um, Mr. Trump because he's going to make America great again. I, I was in disbelief watching that and I'm wondering did you guys see that coming and then was I it just, just like fuck I it I thought that he I was very my first thought with the Access Hollywood tape was oh god was just like pit in the stomach like he is no holds barred he is unhinged nothing to lose he is going to come after us just guns ablazing and it's going to be ugly and personal and like what I had just as a person who's like Hillary's friend and having to help her through this was really dreading. And as it turns out, that is one issue that I think the press handled well, this notion that Hillary was an enabler. People, because I knew she wasn't, but I knew like, why do we want to drudge through all that? Why do we want to bring all of that stuff back up? And like stuff that happened in the eighties and, you know, when people in 2016 hear about it and haven't known about it, like it's hard for them to process all this. And like I said, the press was really responsible about saying, okay, he claims he's an enabler. Let's look at this. And I think everybody came away. It's like, so, I don't know. Yeah. She, said, she said one, you know, not very nice thing about Paula Jones who or Jennifer Flowers who was being paid by Star Magazine and she believed her husband. Like, okay. So I want to talk about – we have yet to mention this one important actor in this election and his name is James Comey. Oh, God. Now, Jay, we, we, referenced, the, we referenced his earlier press conference. Let's put that aside. Yep. I'd want to sit back and let you tell us from sort of a detailed perspective what those days were like following the letter he sent to Jason Chaffetz's committee saying he had discovered more emails on a laptop owned by Huma Abedin and Anthony Weiner that may or may not have contained emails pertinent to the Hillary Clinton State Department email investigation. So That was a good synopsis. The letter comes out. It would have been great if that's how the New York Times reported it the first time. Okay, well, why don't you tell us <laughs> – let's just sit back and let Jen tell us those eight days in October, November. 
So October 28th, I think it was. Okay. And we were flying to Iowa. And I was doing a little gag on the back of the plane with the press. And I was done. And Kristen Walker from NBC News said, hey, Paul Mary, there's a story about the FBI opening up the email investigation again. And I just laughed at her like, Walker, (laughs) (laughs) like, you must be misreading something. She's like, no, no, no. And then she showed me a headline that says something like that. And I was like, okay, uh, I got to let me go check this out. So then all of us on the campaign plane had no wireless at that point. So I could just see the New York Times headline for an hour. Breaking news. We're continuing to follow the FBI director now saying the FBI has discovered new emails pertinent to the investigation of Hillary Clinton's email server with 11 days to the election. Very few specifics in director James Comey's. And I had a theory about what I can't remember. I had a theory about what it was like. This has to be mistaken. It's got to be. so they have to do with Russia or the hack or people are conflating these things. We knew that the FBI was like looking into the hack. And so then we land finally. And then the, you know, I can get the story. The irony about investigations the FBI and the Justice Department undertake that involve political candidates is the closer you get to the election, the more hands off you're supposed to be. I could see voters thinking that, well, I want information so they should tell me what they're doing. But the, but the fallback is always the closer you are, you let the election pass and you come back to it. And to do something like this, it was just, I just couldn't even wrap my head around, uh, how unprecedented and appropriate and bizarre and just inexplicable it was. So I got to be the person who told Hillary. So what was her reaction? So took the hot sauce out of her bag. She took the hot sauce out of her bag. She had a friend visiting with her, so she was chatting with her friend. And I came up and it's like, okay, I have something to tell you. She's like, what do you have to tell me? <laughs> it's like, and I said, it's bad. She's like, okay. And then she got more serious. She just, you know, folds her hands like she does and nods. And she said, okay, well, whatever it is, we'll handle it. And so I told her and she's got a little smile on her face. And I said, what? You knew we weren't done? She said, knew we weren't done. You know, I knew we weren't because at that point we had – 10 days left, 11 days left. She's like, I knew we weren't going to go two and a half weeks from the third debate without something major. And I think maybe she didn't say this, but I think maybe she also thought she knew coming wasn't done. And so she's like, okay, what are we going to do? And then she was an unbelievable trooper during these days. She's like, all right, well, what are we going to do? In in the middle of this, um, Harry Reid puts out a blistering letter. Says you're to to Director Comey. Says you're you're sitting on salacious material that ties Donald Trump to Russia. Did you understand? I mean, you understood obviously what Reed was referencing, but it didn't seem like you guys were, or did you not understand what Reed was referencing? We don't. We didn't know for certain what he meant. I think what he meant is collusion. I think what he meant now, in retrospect, I think what he meant what he meant in that story is what was in the New York Times piece from about 10 days ago, two weeks ago now. Same night the Sessions piece came out in the Post sure. that said there's Dutch intelligence, there's British intelligence of There was actual collusion. Because there was a different New York Times piece that I want to talk about was one that essentially went through the various data points that might have tied – this during the campaign – may have tied Donald Trump to Russia and largely debunked them. It said the oh, FBI had – Looked into this and found yep. nothing that was 
Yeah. Where if that was a story about Hillary Clinton, the headline would be FBI investigates. So were you – was the campaign sort of in the dark about – No, we were aware of that. We knew that Franklin Four from Slate magazine yeah. was was working on a similar – that there's a story and it's still – and honestly, as, 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 as has been recently pointed out, Heat Street did the best and the most complete story about this and that it is, it sounds so, again, this is something that was so crazy to get people to pay attention to. It was hard to do, which is it is a server that is operating from Alpha Bank in Russia, uh, that is only going, that is getting, um, that is look, basically looking up only Trump addresses. And a theory, as we understood it from hearing from reporters, was this was a way for the Alpha Bank to funnel money to the Trump organization. So The pushback was that it could have been just sort of a direct marketing operation. Someone had stated the Trump organization. I just want to – that's yeah, what that the, was – okay, it's ridiculous. So my – I'm sorry to say my view is, Franklin, and I – and, you know, it was a very unusual thing because the New York Times reporter who wrote the story is actually quoted – and the Slate Magazine article, because my understanding is this, this reporter was uh, frustrated that his own newspaper wasn't pursuing this, this story. So uh, Slate Magazine writes this. I think this is November 1st. It's, it's the Monday. It's like eight sure. days out. It's Slate Magazine writes this. David Korn writes this thing about the dossier. Yeah. There's a lot of Russia stuff. This is what I was A lot of Russia stuff. A lot yeah. of Russia stuff is now coming to the surface. So I'm like, amen. Hallelujah. Sure. Finally. And then the New York Times writes this piece. And then the New York Times – writes this piece that kills all of it, just stops it dead in its tracks. Do you think part of it was the the, the hesitancy to put like for that story didn't really work out and, and others or that didn't get no much coverage? Was it just that Hillary every poll showed her winning by a large margin? It's like, well why risk why risk a story? Well then that don't we then don't write it all. Then don't write it all. Don't leave it alone. So was that story okay, so there's two turning points very close to the end of the campaign. One was that story, which kind of stopped everything in its tracks. And yeah. the other was the second Comey letter. I mean, seriously, just stop talking. Would you have rather? I'm confused. Jim Comey, as a communications professional, can I tell you, just stop talking. Just why shut wouldn't up. you? So, an average listener might say, "Why wouldn't you want a second letter I mean, that I'm says just so you disgusted. did nothing wrong?" I'm just so disgusted about it that I just I can't even see straight. But, um, sure. Except, yeah, it was helpful. It was helpful, but I think it probably motivated his side. Do you think that they saw? Maybe some arm twisting behind the scenes or, or, oh, he had to say that. Yeah. And then that's like, then you're like back into the rigged stuff and, you know, whatever. So I, 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 you know, in balance, it's helpful to say, but you're just like, I mean, you're just so disgusted at that point. Like, seriously? Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> well, I mean, in, yeah. I mean, in the end, you have the Russian thing, the Comey thing, the Comey letters. Uh, do you think they were as consequential as, Decisions around where to campaign, like not to campaign in, in as I much. I think when you lose three states by seventy-seven thousand votes, any one action, including our own, could have been yeah. the difference. But you know, including his. My last question is: for if you're, let's say, I don't think maybe you'll go work for another president. No, okay. All right. <laughs> I want to be one of those people that goes on cable television and says, "I have no idea those people are doing. They don't talk to me." Sure. <laughs> okay, let's say, but let's say, let's say you're, let's say you're brought into the next presidential campaign just to advise people on how to advise the candidate. What are the, what is the main lesson that you take from this race that you apply to that race? Or is My this race so unique? You have no control. You have zero control. Um, so you have to be as authentic and yourself as possible and like let those and let the chips fall. And I do think that something that's come out of this is people 
Um, uh, and you got to have some faith. And I think that's a few years away. So the media vi- environment will change even more so that voters are going to be able, are going to be more on, more alert about what they're consuming. And you're going to have to have faith that your candidate is really good and, um, and not be scared of transparency and disclosure and disclosure and just like let it all out. That was Jen Palmieri, Communications Director for the Hillary Clinton Campaign. Candidate Confessional is produced and edited by Zach Young, who also happened to write our theme music. He continues to demand that I say that. Thanks to Kremlin RU for the recording of the Russian National Anthem that we used on the show. It was performed by the Russian Presidential Orchestra and conducted by, who is this? Pavel Avsyanikov, I believe. I don't think you pronounced that right, but we'll go with it. And the Moscow Kremlin Choir, directed by... Gennady Dmitriak. Again, I think your Russian is a little bit off. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and spread the word to your family and friends. Now, next week, we have an interesting guest, the conservative magazine writer who, in 2016, got a brief taste of political celebrity. We'll see you then. Was this cathartic or terrible? No, it was. It wasn't cathartic, (laughs) (laughs) but it's okay. It was educational. Thank you so much. My pleasure. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.